How Could You podcast. I'm Lauren Tossie. And I'm Ryan Tossie. All right, all right, all right. Welcome to the season premiere of season three. And to all of you new to the show, we are a married couple who met at a movie theater and never really left. We discuss, debate, and celebrate all of film's best how could you questions from how could you not have seen that film to how could you not love that film and everything in between. I love the description you wrote. Can I just say that? Oh, I Is that okay that. to say? Thanks. <laughs> <Sorry, stop. laughs> Try so, not to stumble over. <laughs> <laughs> you did a wonderful job. If you are new to the podcast, welcome. Thank you for finding us. Thank you for deciding to press play. If you've been with us, you know this How Could You question started with the fact that I had not seen the Goonies until I was an adult. And that causes some very severe reactions with people, but I'm glad in your description today that you highlighted something that's going to be really important about this season. We are going to explore and expand the idea of how could you, because if you are a movie fan, you know, you feel passionately about your film and especially passionate about the things that you love most about film. So that's going to be today's debate. And it's going to start from a DVD combo pack of all places. Gotta love that. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> See how long we've been hanging on to this debate. <laughs> but this is the crazy thing to me, as I'm sure we'll get into, is this is something that you and I used to debate about because we had this DVD. We started dating in 2004, and that's probably around the time that we started combining our DVD collection, which is really the most serious commitment you can oh, make to yeah, a person. Absolutely. But it also feels something of a bygone era now, the buying of many DVDs, which we used to do frequently. And we thought, given that it's back to school for a lot of American public high schools, we thought we wanted to start with something that is a back to school movie themed around high school. Movie or movies? Movies. That's a good point. It is. Although I really want to only acknowledge one of the films that we're going to be talking about today. Oh, oh. <laughs> Coming in hot on this one. So I'll ask you, Ryan, do you have favorite back-to-school movies or movies that remind you of, like, the beginning of the school year? You know, I'm really excited about this today because, you know, we did start, you know, our first season last year with The Goonies. Great coming-of-age type movie, um, obviously. And high school movies really fall under that. And I think it's important a lot in the discussion when we do talk about these things today is we're kind of putting this in the high school films, right? Not the teen films. And I think that there can be a varying degree on that, you know, because we we did a great um, bracket uh, a couple months ago of the <laughs> yeah. best teen films of all yeah. time. And we got into a huge debate over whether Boz Lerman's Romeo and Juliet should count in there or not. Um, so today we're talking high school films. No, you know, no debate on that, right? No, completely. I mean, like, Romeo and Juliet is kind of like the OG teen story. But I agree, there is a very big difference between the teen film and the high school film because I often think that the dividing line is this, that I feel like films about high school or that are high school-centric or themed really want to explore what that moment in time means. They're often authentic and genuine to experiences where I feel like teen films are like the fantasy version that none of us ever really live as teenagers. So I always appreciate high school films that are willing to show it warts and all, you know, and that are really willing to kind of dive into kind of some at times the heavier stuff that you experience as a teenager, the awkwardness of being a teenager, because we're all awkward as teenagers, even the ones who seem like they're not, they're secretly awkward. I think, you know, you kind of said, I think you and I both probably fall under the same uh, feelings that the the high school films that spoke to us most as kids and speak to us even now that we enjoy, or the films that felt more grounded and a little more realistic, right? Like, you know, not so over the top, the zaniness. And not to say anything's wrong with those. I mean, 
those films, you know, we saw when we were high school kids and we laughed and we, you know, they just don't seem to, to stay, right? The, I think the two films that we'll end up talking today have a little bit more of that. They felt more authentic and they felt a little more real. Uh, and I think that's why we're able to talk about them so much. You know, your question to me was, what's kind of my favorite? Um, one of my all-time, and we've talked about it plenty of times on the show, is American Graffiti. And I think American Graffiti will probably be brought up a couple of times as we talk today. Oh, you better believe it will be. <laughs> because there's no way that you don't see, you know, the blueprint that American Graffiti gave to both of these films. So. That's the clincher of my argument later. Can you just forget that you mentioned American Graffiti earlier? <laughs> yeah, right. But I mean, but that doesn't mean that there's not other great, you know, high school films. And, and, and they don't all, again, have to feel so authentic. But like for me, Ghost World's a great one. Yes. Um, 100%. You know, I, we like Can't Hardly Wait a lot. Uh, recently, Book Smart. A fantastic Books, Fantastic. Book Smart is incredible because it has all the zaniness and like kind of hyper reality you want, but grounded and firm look at like ardent friendships in high school. It's such a great movie. Yeah. And and every what every few years and every group of you know, it's what high school kids like about them high school films. <laughs> <laughs> They get older and high school films stay the same age, right? Like, what a weird appropriation (laughs) of that quote. But I mean, you just think of all the time, you know, as we span all these films that that drop in there. Like, we could just sit there. We've already done a show on Clueless that falls in there, and and that feels, you know, a little bit like I can't necessarily say that I know those characters, but it still is a great high school film. But I know those feelings. Yeah. The, you know, sense of not belonging, where do I fit within this, what persona do I want to exist in high school, I think we all feel that, and that's sometimes what I think what makes some of those films the ones that translate generation to generation, no lie, so as I've mentioned before, probably on the podcast, I'm a high school teacher, and I had a student on the first day of class that talked to me about Ferris Bueller's Day Off this year, this is completely (laughs) real. And I thought to myself, there's a very specific reason why that translates. Not because most teenagers end up jumping on parade floats, but because those characters feel very real, especially Cameron. Like Cameron feels in his- I still feel like Cameron. (laughs) You are Cameron. (laughs) When Ryan went out of Egypt land. You know, so, and I think that's why those resonate and you keep seeing generation after generation revisit those films because it's not about the times in which they live, but they feel so authentic and timeless because of how they capture youth. And I remember that being a really big turning point when I was in high school in the early aughts, like you had all of a sudden like teen fiction that like, so I'm talking about like literary fiction that was coming out that was being written more in an authentic way. Obviously before this, you had like the outsiders, but books like speak and the person being a wallflower, those were coming out like when I was in high school. And I think when things speak authentically to us, they transcend time. But I'm glad we were talking about Ferris Bueller because there's no way to talk about high school films without bringing up John Hughes because he's so influential of Breakfast Club and Sixteen Candles and, um, you know... Pretty in Pink. Pretty in Pink, thank you. Um, you know, and then even that time you have some kind of wonderful and, and a lot of those just great, you know, really popular 80s high school films that are still sticking around with people today. So, you know, those types of films 
obviously we have to talk about anytime we're talking about high school movies. And then, like I said, it, it just, I love how you look at every decade and how these films speak to people. You know, Dope is a great one. Oh, I love Dope. Um, mean Girls is probably a huge one. You know, so just all of these films. But they kind of, there's two, we start getting to the, the cream of the crop, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it's going to be hard-pressed to not start thinking about the two films we're going to discuss today. And do you want to enlighten everybody a little bit on on how we kind of came about this particular episode today? Of course. So as maybe previewed a little earlier, uh, mm-hmm. we had a DVD combo pack. Um, and in this DVD combo pack existed two films, Dazed and Confused and Fast Times at Ridgemont High. So I want to paint a scene a little bit for Dazed and Confused. Directed by Richard Linklater. Before this, he had done a film called Slacker, which was pretty popular in the independent film festival circuit. Um, He was kind of becoming immediately a hot commodity. One of those directors where they say, the next this. That's kind of where Richard Linklater was in his career. Not a lot of experience, but a lot of desire to tell authentic, youthful stories. Um, And if you know anything about Slacker, that's kind of the purposefulness of that film. In fact, a very young Kevin Smith would see that movie and it would inspire him to become a director. That's why Slacker seems, or I should say Clerk seems, a little bit like Slacker. Yeah, gosh. I I don't know if I knew that before, but I can totally see that. I only recently found this out because of a resource I'll talk about later. So the year is 1992 and Richard Linklater amasses just about the who's who of 90s actors to descend upon Austin, Texas to film on location, something that was not happening in the early 90s for these types of films. But he wanted to really immerse them because he wanted to tell the story of what it felt like to be a teenager at his high school in 1976 in Austin, Texas. And when you think about this cast and we think about what he's trying to capture, it feels niche. It feels like, well, of course, if that was my music, if that was my town, I would totally feel what's going on in that film. But what he ends up creating is something so personal, so authentic, so specific, yet so universal. It belongs in the canon of best high school films of all time. And then there's the other movie in the pack. Ryan? Again, why are you coming at me? <laughs> I'm talking about one of the all-time great films today. My film, <laughs> on the other side of the DVD pack, you, you flip it over and it's on the other side, is, you know, a little film from 1982 called Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I mean, Amy Heckerlin directing, Cameron Crowe uh, writing it, a film about high school kids through a year and just their entire experience through it i'm ready to defend it and how could you pick dazed and confused over fast times how could you pick fast times over dazed ding ding here we go (laughs) (laughs) all right so as we've been kind of like sneak peeking throughout this so we had this dvd combo pack now Back when we bought this, did we have any dreams of a podcast? Of course not, because podcasting wasn't as popular yet, <laughs> for sure, because we're going back quite a number of years. But it's really interesting. Are you saying it's popular now? Is, is there Are there other podcasts out there? I mean, I hope you only have ears for our <laughs> podcast, but if you do so indulge, you probably know there's a, a bevy of podcasts out there. And I remember that you and I would experience these films and because of virtue of the fact that they were in a combo pack together, this weird civil war began between you and I over which high school film is better. 
I mean, listen, as I'm sure we'll get to, they're both great, but like... Yeah, I... I yes, I want to defend before we get going on this. I'm going to say it. You don't have to have the same feeling. I absolutely love both these films. My sister will kill me if I do not say <laughs> I love Dazed and Confused. <laughs> and being that I watched my brother throughout most of my childhood do the Spicoli dance, I think he'll kill me if I don't say that right. Fast Times so is a great fair, movie. So our siblings do not kill us. <laughs> yes. Let it be known throughout the land. Both of us love these films, and we're going to have a good spirited debate today. A hundred percent. It's just that my movie's better. But we do have. <laughs> so we decided today how we're going to do this is we're going to actually kind of do a tale of the tape type, you know, fight style and, and break this down a little bit into categories. I really appreciate the sports metaphor that you just threw into yeah. our, <laughs> our movie podcast. I, I saw Jake Paul fight the other night, and now I got a whole boxing thing going on. I'm There's like, just things you don't say out loud. But go ahead, please explain our categories. Can fight. I can fight. <laughs> um, so yeah, so we're just you know we're breaking this down. You know, it, it's we're gonna get to your your main categories you would think with these types of films. I mean, both of these films, like we said, are readily talked about as two of the best high school films of all time. Two great films of all time in cinema. Um, you know, they're always highly ranked and they both, um, you know, again, kind of are, and you, you made me lose my train of thought with that noise that I don't know what it was. <laughs> that noise is to the fact that one of these films is really well crafted and one of them I do not think Ooh. as is well crafted. I know! Ooh, this might be getting way more yeah. contentious than I expected it to be. Um, I do want to say though, <laughs> and we're going to talk about this. These two films get compared a lot. Like, they get paired up a lot. Not just the DVD box set, but, like, when people talk about them. And I don't know if they should. No, which no. is what we're going to talk about a lot today. They're not the same movie. Yeah. They're not the same movie at all. So let's get into it. You know, we've been blabbering on here. <laughs> we're going to go long today. I'm just going to say it right off the bat. It's the first episode Buckle back. in. So buckle in. At some point, folks, we'll get back to our hour shows. Today won't be that day. we got two big movies to talk about. So let's start with the first one. Let's jump right into the writer. So I'm kind of cheating by picking the writing category first, uh, only because it leads into it's so important how this film gets made. Uh, sure, so I'll of start talking about um, Fast Times immediately. So the writer for Fast Times at Ridgemont High is none other than Cameron Crowe who would go on to be one of the best directors of all time. Um, he's a great screenwriter. This is one that he did the screenplay, but did not direct. So if you don't know the story, it's a wild story with Crow. In 1979, he goes to high school. He's writing for Rolling Stone at the time. He goes to a high school in California, and it's, uh, I believe it was uh, Claremont High School in San Diego. Um, and he goes to them and says he wants to spend a year in the school undercover and write a book. The principal's kind of a little iffy about it, but then finds out he writes for Rolling Stone, and he knows all of these, you know, musicians. And huge music fan, the principal decides to let him do this. So... <laughs> Man, to be teaching in the 70s. Right. Oof. So Crow spends a year in the, in the high school um, and, and writes this book. Only, I believe my understanding is only three people knew he was undercover while he was there. 
So, 1980, the book gets published, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. If anybody has a copy, let me know, because I went looking for one and could not find one under a really exorbitant amount of money. <laughs> Probably more money than the studio game, Fast Times, the Mantis <laughs> movie. Fair. Uh, but he writes this book. Um, so, right off the bat, uh, Crow is an all-time writer. Um, True and yeah. he ends up writing the screenplay. He's attached to it and sticks on with helping the film to be made throughout. Um, he actually helps a lot of the production part of this. And you see Crow's writing throughout. I mean, each of these characters are based off of somebody he knew in the high school. Um, and it's kind of, it's probably why these characters feel so authentic. You know, it was an actual experience that he put out there. Now, obviously, things some things were changed once it got into the film. We'll talk about that probably a little bit later when we're talking about these characters and some differences between the book and how these characters develop. Obviously, Amy Heckerlin has a huge influence because Crow, you know, Crow has a great, his writing style is fantastic. He brings the experience. Heckerlin brings the, the I think, the female touch that this film absolutely needed. But Crow's writing, again, is all over this. I mean, and this is why he is just one of the all-time best screenwriters with Almost Famous and We Bought a Zoo and one of the best, also best high school films of all time, Say Anything. Um, you know, I mean, he's all over the map in this and each character, I think, is his credit to why these characters feel so real. Ugh. I, I as you know, I am... I don't surrender. Never surrender. <laughs> Never surrender. surrender. <laughs> All-time pump-up song. Yeah. Um, I, I can't argue with what you just said because Cameron Crowe is such a phenomenally proficient screenwriter. The thing I've always appreciated about his screenwriting is that his characters have heart, but they have teeth too. Like, he's not completely unwilling. Like, he doesn't want some, like, you know, like cutie pie version of what these characters can be. I think Almost Famous is a really great... Russell's a great example of that. Russell's incredibly likable, but also yeah. incredibly detestable as well. Um, and you definitely see this with the characters in this, um, with the exception of Damone. Damone just sucks the whole movie. Um, and I... I, even when as we were writing this category down, I thought to myself, he's going to list Cameron Crowe films. He knows it's going to be impossible for me to argue against it. And he's going to end with Say Anything because he's going to know that's one of my all-time favorite movies and I'm not going to be able to say anything to that. So here is what I'll say. I think what Richard Linklater, or as apparently he's called when he was on set, Rick, which I think is... I don't know why that entertains me. Um, I think... What he captures is a really naturalistic approach to the writing of the script. It is very much dependent upon the strength of the actors to improvise, but I think not out of need for, I'm just hoping magic happens. I think he, he gave enough of a body there for them to work with. I deeply appreciate the fact that there are just these kind of very casual lines in it. I do find this film to be very quotable despite how much it was improvised. And I find the structure of how he wrote this story to be very fascinating. The production of this is very interesting. He had, he, he almost came to death blows um, with one of the people on his crew because they just felt like he was unpolished, unfinished. And one of the actors in a book that I'm reading called All Right, All Right, All Right, it's by Melissa Meritz, um, talks about how what 
there was an actor who did not believe that he had a, a shot list for every day, like <laughs> that he was just making it up, but it wasn't. It was all like crafted so that way it felt authentic and organic for them, but it was very well planned by uh, Richard Linklater or Rick Linklater. Um, that all being said. No, 100% you win the screen. Yeah, yeah 100% Cameron Crowe wins. close personal friend, Cameron Crowe. It's <laughs> a great story there, that's for sure. <laughs> One uh, day again, if you see us out, I'll tell that yeah, story Yeah, over 100%. And over um, yeah, no, there's no... I, I knew that this was a cheat uh, by me putting this category first. There's no way that you give it. And Linkletter's... His strength is not in his his writing and character development in all of his no. films. Yeah, and I'll say that one of the things that I really appreciate about Cameron Crowe is as a writer for this film is that these if the writing is incredibly polished but genuine too. Yeah. Um, I don't feel like this is not the Dawson's Creek effect that would come in the '90s where teenagers would have to so- sound like thirty year olds with their PhD. Like this is a hundred percent the you know, it, these conversations feel very real. I think probably to me, I think the best written character in terms of her dialogue is I think Phoebe Cates's character. There's something about how she delivers that just feels like how a best friend would advocate for you. I don't know. There's just something very real about how she's written that I think just resonates. And I think that's Cameron Crowe's right. And her performance, well, of does. course. Yeah. But there's something about how her dialogue that feels authentic to me. More fleshed out characters. And you talk about, that's the big thing, and we'll talk over and over, that gives Fast Time such credit is these characters are, I mean, now they're all played by 20-some-year-old, mid-20-year-olds, but they're all trying... Wasn't Phoebe Cates, though, 18? Wasn't she, like, one of the younger castmates, I believe? believe. Yes. Um, But they're all trying... When they're talking more, quote-unquote, adult or older... It's because they're trying to. It, it is intentional. Yes. Like, and it is it is supposed to be transparent that that is exactly what's going on. And it's in that way when we are teenagers and we believe we're talking maturely. Yeah. That we don't understand that there is this, like, kind of juvenile cadence to how we even talk about, like, more adult things. And I don't say that pejoratively towards teenagers. Like, I'm not, you know, I'm not ageist in that way. It's more of just, like, it's that kind of freshness of experiences. And I'll ask this because obviously we've now declared you the winner of the writer category. Victory. I'm going to retire right now. <laughs> you best. Because <laughs> the other ones aren't going to go this easy. Um, is there a character in this that you kind of attach to that you think is like the best written character in the film? Or there are a few of the characters that you From really... Fast Times? From Fast Times. I, I think, and again, once we talk about characters and everything like that, but, you know, tip in my hand pretty easily, Stacy and Brad, to me, are two of the best written characters. Um, specifically, Stacy, uh, completely. Um, I, I, there's an argument to be made that she's the main character of the film in this big ensemble piece. Uh, but I think there's a lot to the Brad character that is underappreciated. Um, so those would be the, the two that I would jump out and say. Now, I'll have a question for you at the end of the show about which character from these films you most relate to. Um, And we'll get there, but that would be a different answer for me. But most well-written characters, I think, has to be Stacy. Okay, no, I I, and I totally get that. And the thing is, is I don't want to sleep on Dazed here, because obviously I'm here to defend Dazed. Like... You're going to have plenty to talk about. Uh, yeah. Very high. <laughs> and I think that's that's perhaps why, because I know there are other aspects of this film where this shines. Um, 
you know, but again, like there is something to the kind of naturalistic, very like kind of raw and organic way in which, you know, or in which Dazed is constructed that I really appreciate, which is a credit to the screenwriting of going, this is going to be a slight, this is a night. This is a snapshot of what it is to be a teenager at the end of the school year. And although it's very much firmly set in the seventies, I think it feels like that last day of school, any decade, anywhere. (laughs) Um, even if necessarily it doesn't exactly look the same, I think those emotions feel very real. And I think that's where, I think what Richard Linklater was trying to capture was something besides kind of what was written on the page. And I think he's very effective at that, but I do think it's what kind of lends itself naturally to talking about this and saying that Cameron Crowe wins for the screenwriting. Yeah. And let's, let's, I think it needs to be said though, right? Like this isn't just fandom. Obviously that's a huge thing for us, but, it is a, a better written script. It's tighter. Uh, yeah. It's 100% um, tighter. In, in that regard. And also, if anybody's ever seen Boyhood, Cameron Crowe's going to win every time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, we are not big fans of Boyhood here. <laughs> I think I showed Lee Clutter's vision, but not his writing. Fair. <laughs> so, anyway. Um, so we'll give... We'll give me the victory. Yay. Fine. <laughs> but let's move on to what I think is going to be an interesting category. Uh, let's move on to director. Um, you have, you know, again, you're going to have to talk about Linkletter here and defend Linkletter a lot. <laughs> yeah. And here, here's the thing. One, I am going to say, I have a major gap for Linkletter and I won't, I won't try and fake that I don't have this no, gap. I've never seen Before Sunrise. Um, I know of one particular audience member who tunes in frequently that's going to be screaming at his radio right now at that fact. I'm not a Linklater person, but I will 100% and to the hilt defend that this is the better directed film. Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. You piss off. This is so no much better way. directed. Are you serious? I am going to give so much credit to Dazed in these next categories, like legitimately, but I can't, I didn't even think that this would be close the fact that you went in the given the victory to like is shocking to me. Shock! I'm shocked, Cotton. <laughs> <laughs> um, for a thousand reasons, I think this is better directed. I think this captures the spirit of a, a genuine and authentic high school moment better. It doesn't feel as constructed, which is what I will say its strength is. And if you want to tell me that ending shot with the open road ahead of them while slow ride is playing is not so brilliant and beautiful i will say you're no longer a movie fan whoa i hold on yeah <laughs> again yeah i'm not saying that it's in a great film i'm not saying that there's not great shots in it and i do agree with you i think the the ending is, is quite nice i also appreciate quite it nice. i also appreciate it when link letter just openly stole the opening from fast times at ridgemont high oh ew no <laughs> First off, you want to be real? Every movie, high school movie, is stealing that from the documentary that came out in the 60s called High School that did that exact thing. (laughs) So they're both stealing. Ha! (laughs) But I'll say, all right, you do bring up a good point because there's a similarity at which that happens. I also think that, and this is where I think the opposition of these films can really come into play is in the directing. Because the writing, I, I think, again, clear winner here. But I think with the directing, it's also like what you're buying in for because there is a a, a grime or a graininess, I would say, because I wouldn't say it's necessarily feel like it was grimy, but like kind of a, a, a sun-bleached aspect to how Dazed and Confused is conceived. There's kind of a 
there's a spirit around this film. I mean, so Richard Linklater, so he brings down all of these famous actors. He makes them live in one hotel all together. Um, I hi- except Matthew McConaughey. Matthew McConaughey did not live in the hotel because he already had a ranch in Austin. So he had no reason to live at the hotel. And if you read the book, All Right, All Right, All Right by Melissa Merritt, this goes into a lot of like kind of the atmosphere that Linklater created. I mean, it was they essentially talk about the cast discussed like it was like summer camp for the entire time that they were making this film. And everything that you can imagine probably would have occurred with these actors all, you know, at the burgeoning moment of their careers taking off or, you know, maybe we didn't know that their careers were going to take off yet, but these are heavy hitters, no pun intended, with some of the action and Dazed and Confused. Um, everything you think happened, happened. You know, there were a lot of relationships born of this. There was a secret marriage born of this. Like, he created an atmosphere and then distilled that and focused it into this film for it to feel as natural as possible. And to me, the thing that clinches this for Best Director, the moment Wooderson walks into that pool hall and Hurricane is playing and it just slows for a moment. And your boy Wes Anderson's been ripping this off ever <laughs> since. And it just slows for a moment. Is there anything, I'm going to give my one F word, is there anything fucking cooler than that moment? <laughs> It is a very cool moment. I I, I was going to talk about this during the soundtrack, but I have to ask you, though. Has there ever been a cooler use of a song and a more inappropriate use of a song than using the song Hurricane for just a slow walk for a, an entirely white film <laughs> of characters walking I into hate a you pool? so much. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. Because it is. It's this... You know, and this is where maybe uh, maybe Zack Snyder using zombie at the end of uh, his Army of the Dead movie, dude. Right? <laughs> but, How inappropriate is the use of that film? Listen, I, or you said something in that film? I found out about. I learned about the song Hurricane from this movie, and I agree with you. It is a amazing shot. It is the coolest shot of the film. Uh, but it's like when you know the song Hurricane yeah. and what it's about and everything and what it means, and especially in this day and age and 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 everything, it doesn't. It's kind of like us using in our senior slideshow the song Freshman <laughs> because the song said Freshman. Right, yeah. Like, I completely get it. So this is where I'll say, Cam- not to bring Cameron Crowe back into flow, Cameron Crowe something he's very good and I think is a master at, and Quentin Tarantino the same, um, using songs to their, like, to their best application. Linklater uses that purely for its so- like its sonic value. And for its sonic value, you're right. I it hits in that moment. For its thematic subject, no, a hundred percent. That's not when that song should be used. I've never thought about it. I was watching it. Cool, this thanks time. for winning that mo- ruining that moment that I have loved for so long. I appreciate it. But you're not wrong. You are not Still wrong. Awesome. I mean, it's an amazing song All and right. it's a cool moment. Throw in it's here, just... tell me how Fast Times is well directed. So you got the great Amy Heckerlin. Uh she was twenty nine years old when she directed this film. Um, Cameron Crowe was, by the way, 24, I believe, when he wrote this. So, but, okay. Um, she, had, she had hoped to have her first film done by 24 because uh, Orson Welles had Citizen Kane. Uh, but the writer's strike caused everything to be delayed. So she ends up getting this. She wasn't the first choice, however. Oh, actually, I don't know this. Do you know who the legitimate, and I'm, this isn't even like a, oh, they were talked about. Like, they got brought in. Who? David Lynch. <laughs> <laughs> So, I'm going to let you know, we see a lot more of that clinic scene if David Lynch directs it. 
David Lynch was brought in to direct this. Like, he met with Crow, he met with the producers, he drove, he sat there, he listened to them, and this has been, like, prove it. And just at the very end, just looks like Cameron Crowe and says, it's a really, looks like you have a really nice movie here. This is definitely not something I do. And said, good luck. And literally got up, walked out, got into his car, drove off. Added to the many list of reasons I love David Lynch. Yeah. No, Amy Heckerlin, um, you know, she's had, we, we talked about this a lot in Clueless, so I'm not gonna, you know, give a whole, you know, huge thing with her, but she's just really interesting. She has a very interesting career. I think this is the highlight, though, because I'll give you this. You have moments and days that are, the way that they're shot and the way that they're directed are very cool. They're, you know, if you're gonna watch a montage, you're gonna watch these snippets. What she does with this film, though, is she brings something in that you do not, haven't really, you hadn't seen up to that point, and I don't know how many high school films really do now. The sex scene with Stacy, um, with the radio uh, salesman, is a really well done scene. The she shows you the awkwardness of that first yeah. moment, and you know, with knowing how to flash on the graffiti, and then she puts the point of view on the gentleman at times, and you see it where you don't see that often, where you, where it's from the point of view of the female, and like she just does this throughout, where she handles some of the subject matter that I don't know we see in a lot of different films. So she has a way that. Again, it's not going to be those super flashy moments that we're going to get with with days that are these cool moments. It's it's more in some of these subtle moments that she has, um, you know. Again, and and not to, to jump on this, I think the the pool house scene with yeah. Stacy, and when you hear about how that was actually supposed, to, this was supposed to be a little bit grittier and grimier of a film. She was very adamant that these are middle class to just on the bot, you know, just below middle class kids, yeah. you know, working their butts off. She didn't want the, the, um, the mall to look as shined up as it was. She wanted a bit of a, like more rundown mall. This mall was only two years old when they shot there. Um, she had to do, you hear this a lot with mall scenes, but they had to shoot overnight, you know, it was a working mall. Um, you know, so just some of these aspects that she brings into it that I just, again, I don't think we see a lot. Um, you know, the way that they handle, um, Linda throughout the film of this character that, you know, she's trying to be something she's not, you know, like mm. she wants to be respected and she wants to be older and she's doing everything that she can. And, and in different hands, that character is exploited. There's some subject, like there are spots in this film that are like, I, again, and I'm going to talk about the three most, you know, awkward scenes to talk about, but I think are the three of the best scenes that are directed. The, uh, the Brad and Linda scene is the juxtaposition of what's, you know, when they're dropping out of Brad's fantasy of what's happening and just her getting out of the pool and, and fixing her ear um, and coming in and just how that all is shot. I just admire so much. And no, it's not because of it's considered one of the top nude scenes of all time. You, you When you step away from that moment of it like and, and take that out of your head, like it is a really interesting way of this juxtaposition between males and and 
you know, where they're at at that age and females and, and what's reality and what's not reality. I just really like some of the nuances that she puts into this film. No, and listen, I can't disagree with the things you've said there because you're right. You're talking about the scenes and, and some that are more like, you know, obviously the Phoebe Kate scene is very, very well known for that particular reason, not the reason you highlighted. Um, and I, and I will give the credit here to Amy Hackburn Lang. I think she understood that female sexuality and the, and the confusion that comes at that time in your life and, you know, the unfortunate, you know, particularly what happens with like the, the, the radio repair guy, like kind of the exploitation of him, not, not, you know, her lying, but him not really trying to investigate really how old she is. Um, and, and that, that happens and kind of. The awkwardness of her that scene and then but also like what she hopes it to be or what she hopes for because i mean it's a grimy scene i mean it's like a ba- he takes her to a baseball diet like, this is not a good dude yeah. like you know and 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 then later what happens with damone i think often you know what this shows in, and i think what the character of linda is trying to communicate is the way in which like as, as young women, very, very unfortunately, so much of, I think, the content that comes out in teen movies subjugates that, well, you know, female sexuality is bad and, and something to be wary of and giving away your treasure. And I think what Amy Hackerling is talks about, like, no, as much as Brad is doing that in the pool house because he has urges and fantasies, so do these young women and recognize yeah. that and deal with it. And for a movie in the 80s, now, I don't know if everyone approaches the subject matter that way. Um, and that might be some of my discomfort when watching Fast Times because I think it's a more unfiltered, but then it's to me, I think this is where I've always had this like cognitive dissonance of it's this unfiltered, but then it's still in this movie that functions very much like a high school teen movie. And I think that's sometimes the hardship I have but with Fast Times. But isn't high school? No, I'm not saying it's not, but I think what I like and why I think that... Days is a better directed film is there's a consistency to tone and vision and handling that I appreciate. Fast Times is dealing with heavier stuff. There's no two ways about it. Like there is, and because it's being told across a year, you have more time yeah, to like unpack. Can, yeah, there, there's a lot to definitely dissect in that difference between the two films. And I think the difference sometimes and why I would like lean towards obviously Days and Confused being the better directed film, and maybe we'll have to end this in a draw, I don't know, is that there's such different purposes in what type of story this is trying to tell. Like to me, when I watch Days and Confused, it's slice of night, it's one night, it's and we get to just kind of like float in and out of everybody's life. And I love that feeling because it feels naturalistic. It feels like a fly on the wall. It's very like, it, it's very voyeur. Like it's cool to me. Fast times because it functions in more of a traditional like linear narrative standpoint of telling a high school year, which is like pretty typical in like teen films. I think then what you get is something that's a lot more structured, which could be a mark for Hackerling, but something I don't think I emotionally respond to as well. Right, but are you saying that you're not responding to the film as opposed to the direction of the film? Because I think what she's able to do is... Really, you you are talking about a fact that she has to tell this story over the course of the year, and again, nothing gets bogged down. This is a tight hour and a half film, um, and you know she does a fantastic job of allowing this to grow throughout, and every character and what their growth is as a person throughout, and kind of like navigating these these scenes. But I don't know if everyone's growth is shown as equitably as you're saying. I think there are some characters in this, and 
again, I'm just going to pause here a sec. I love Fast Times <laughs> no, at Ridgemont no, no, no. High because you're looking at me like you're coming from a baby. No, um, no, no, no. I, I think I was surprised on this category um, because I would argue that, uh, <laughs> and I'll just say it. I mean, I've been kind of skirting around it. I don't think Linkletter's direction is that great. I think <gasps> the, the, the strengths of this film are its cast and its cast chemistry, which we're going to get to probably in the next category. It might be a good time to actually move on. We're going to call this one a draw. I'm, I'm going to call this a, you're wrong. <laughs> I'm going to, you know, I'm putting this one under protest. Um, <laughs> we'll call it a draw. But moving into the next category is cast chemistry, right? Um, now I'm going to jump that ahead. I think we were going to do story next, but let's go right into cast chemistry because I believe that Fast Times total strength is an amazing cast and how they work together um, and how they gel and how those characters gel together. But here's the thing. I feel like you're saying in a reductive way that no. counters the direction. Yes. To say that yeah, it's absolutely. not... Yeah, okay. absolutely. I'm completely saying that Linkletter does not deserve the credit for the success you're, of this film. You're entirely wrong. <laughs> you and I have watched many things where we've said, wow, that director got a performance out of someone. He did with this. He crafted an experience. And that experience meant cultivating a cast and putting them in the conditions to garner these performances and knowing when to push in the direction of something that felt structured and when to pull and let it be organic. That is an incredibly astute director that can create that kind of chemistry. You know, I think we often think about cast chemistry as though it's just this thing that happens if you get beautiful, talented people in a room and it like... No. I'm not saying you personally. Yeah. I'm saying generally. I think that's something that we can think when we see actors interacting in a way that seems convivial and friendly and almost as though their bonds have gone beyond just the work. Um, you know, I think sometimes we think that it just happens immediately. And yes, of course, sometimes it does. It's like if you have people that you work with in your job that you're close with versus people that you're not, but you just work well with. Like, And I think what Linklater does in this environment, which again, I will say is a credit to his direction, is he creates the space for that to occur. And I think you have actors who, it's really interesting because this cast comes from so many different walks of life that they're coming into this space. Um, it's written about like very uh, profoundly about Parker Posey kind of being like a central figure in this cast. If you think about the character of Darla, she has a very big moment at the beginning. Yeah. Air raid bitches. Like, <laughs> she's got that at the beginning. And then she fades into the background a little bit. And then you get that great scene to me, Parker Posey and Joey Lauren Adams in that moment of like, no, just tell us what she said. We don't care. We won't get mad. And then Joey Lauren Adams getting so angry. And they talk about this. I guess Parker Posey and Joey Lauren Adams became like, fast friends at first they like kind of hated each other a little bit and then they became fast friends on set but parker posey kind of like ruled overall like very larger than life personality they talk about her almost like to me like in like norma desmond terms like just this big kind of almost diva but not selfish but just would do like kind of insane things so you bring in kind of like her creative spirit that's coming you know she was raised in the south at this point was like living in new york and you bring all of these pieces together, someone like Ben Affleck and Cole Hauser and like, and then Matthew McConaughey, and you bring them together. And there's this kind of like magical thing happens where these people seem to interact like they've known each other all of high school. Like as though part of their life is that Wooderson's been bumming around at the pool hall their entire youth. 
And so, and, and moving more into the cast chemistry, I just think there's something magical about how the people of Dazed and Confused interact. Like, I think 100%, and I know we'll get to this, Fast Times has some iconic characters. One in particular that it's going to be really hard to argue against that shouldn't potentially win that category. But what I love so much about the characters in this is I feel like there's a real sense that they have lived in the same town together for years. And I think that's kind of a beautiful thing that happens in this film. I... I... I don't argue any of that. I agree completely with you. Um, I think, I, I yes, I, I, you know, you're right in that Linkletter, I, you know, I'm being a little bit hyperbolic in that he had nothing to do with it. Obviously, he had a lot to do with it. He deserves a lot of the credit. But I don't think the strength is by any means in the direction. I, I don't think that there are a lot of particularly amazing shots throughout and and everything but i do think um disagree how the whole entire moon tower party is shot is beautiful but i do think that takes a talented cinematographer too the you know the cast there's no arguing uh in in days that cast is brilliant together um you know they got the right people for the right parts um, the way that it's spread out throughout, uh, I'm a hundred percent behind you. I mean, you've got lightning in a bottle with McConaughey, um, who would obviously just build this iconic part. You know, I think the, um, the interesting thing is, and, and why his name's escaping me, Ben Affleck's character. O'Banion. O'Banion, um, is throughout, like... Is that character... I'm curious what that character feels like if it's not Ben Affleck today. If it's just, like, you know, Mitch, um, you know, the kid that plays Mitch, you know, we don't really know him as an actor today other than he played Mitch. You can't see it, but I'm grabbing my nose as he says Mitch's name. <laughs> oh, God. Mitch is so bad. So bad! Parts. He's the only part where I'm like, Ryan will win the whole argument if he keeps bringing up Mitch Kramer. <laughs> yeah. But I'll say the O'Banion thing is really funny because Ben Affleck, like, he loves being associated with um, Deus and Confused. Um, and he, he and he's very fond about this, although he said he didn't really get to date anyone when he was down there, which he was super bummed about. He he does not love when people bring up custom-made paddles to him. Oh, really? Because he's like, you clearly don't know me at all. I don't endorse that kind of behavior. I'm not that character. Now, granted, current things going on with his buddy Matt Damon, it's a little hard. But he said he was like, no, he was Boston like... Boston Boys. No, but he said, like, the bullying stuff he found, like, so objectionable, but he so wanted to be in this film. But he said it was really hard because of the fact that he's, like, the person on play. He's, like, he's, like so, like, yeah. he was so in objection to and thought he was, like, so disgusting. I think, you know, in argument or in defense of Fast Times with this, though, is I, I'm going to, I will say, you're right. There, I'm not going to argue that the chemistry is going to be ba- better in Dazed. Um, Even better in Fast Times. No, I think it's better in days. Oh, okay, I'll you say do that, that okay, outright. Okay, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I'm gonna say that outright. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I also think though, there's not to be, you know, the chemistry is really wonderful in Fast Times. Those people, they all the way that they seamlessly kind of drift in, in and out of each other, either quickly or not quickly. Um, to me, Brad and Stacy is one of the best brother and sister relationships I see in film. I love the two of them together. The scene um, at the car feels incredibly yeah. genuine. Yes. Yeah. And you feel that moment. There's not a lot said there, but you feel yeah. that moment with them. You understand, 
you know, Brad is being a protective brother, but also being an amazing brother in just letting her have her moment and letting her grow. Um, despite how, you know, all, you know, tough of a situation it is. Um, you know, I think uh, Rat and I think Damone, I think the way that they play off of each other and then Damone and Stacy and they, I just, I love how they all weave in and out. And I can see you making a face and I just, I can't, disagree more i think this film again it's it's a great ensemble piece it's a great ensemble cast that they all work together uh there's one character that doesn't fit in the film to me um and you know and he's probably the most iconic character from the movie because he feels like he's not in the same movie as the rest of the cast and that is not something I'm making up. Once I started doing some research on this, he really was supposed to be more of a small character that went, the studio didn't know how to, you know, do this film. Like, or excuse me, like promote this film. They had no faith in it. Universal Studios had no faith in it. They saw the stuff. They didn't understand a, you know, a film that could talk from the female and the male perspective of high school and talk about it in a gritty way. They thought they were getting this you know, goofy, funny comedy. Um, and Fast Times is not. It's, you're right. And it's I think, not. And again, talking about the, the Spicoli character, if we talk about him, if you remove Spicoli from this film, this film is probably more of a drama than it is a comedy. Spicoli brings the humor to the film. And I'm not saying I dislike the Spicoli character. I love Spicoli. Um, I you know we'll talk about him a little bit more in a few minutes and we'll have a lot to say about that but um he does feel a little out of place at times in the tone of the film compared to the other characters so i'm going to say two things one i believe i'm with you the character of mark mark rat ratner um completely authentic and i think he has a really good presence and i think occupies a high school student's insecurities very well I have always felt the character of Damone is a little false, a little put upon. And I know the argument, well, that's supposed to be kind of Damone, but I never feel like his character authentically fits as much in the film. And what you're saying about Spicoli, I can't disagree. And that actually makes a lot of sense now with you saying like Universal kind of not knowing. There's actually a very similar story. Universal, it really didn't want days and confused to be made and they fought link later on everything so universal terrible terrible they have no <laughs> foresight well they actually went back and filmed the surf scene later that was a whole added scene i think the care that actually makes a lot of sense because it's so goofy it's so goofy yeah. and out of place and not in the way like like brad's fantasy is leads to a moment of intense awkwardness um the Spicoli moment doesn't really lead anywhere, so it kind of makes sense that they didn't do much with it. But I'll actually say, like, my heart breaks for Spicoli when I watch the movie. I hate Mr. Hand. I think Mr. Hand is a terrible human being. I would never conduct myself that way as an educator. And I actually think a few of those maybe goofier moments were I think there's actually a lot of heart to the Spicoli character, which I'm going to give Amy Hackerling credit for because how she directs Sean Penn to kind of have those moments because when Mr. Hand's mean to him you can see it like he gets mad sometimes but sometimes it looks like it kind of hurts his feelings and I give 
Sean Penn every credit for giving what could have been, and I think was marketed as a one-off kind of stoner funny character. There's a little bit more going on with Spicoli. I, I agree with you. Um, yeah, I, I think you see that. I think you see, but I think that's all these characters, right? Like, that's what they're going through. Um, you know, the whole film, it, it's, you know, the title of the film, Fast Times at Richmond High, and, and Cameron Crowe talks about the title, and he said it, it signified two things specifically on why it was named this. So Fast Times, it's Fast Times of kids' lives. Like, they grow up so quickly and, and it goes fast so fast. So that's obviously there. Sure. You know, and then the other aspect of it is the fast times of our lives with the jobs and, and trying to be adults early and yeah. and trying to, you know, kind of get through as much of the limited time before going out into the world. And they're they're trying to find this place. And I think Spicoli is that too. He's, he's, fine, trying to, he's a guy that's trying to find his place in the world, right? He's trying to have fun. He's trying to live life, you know, and, but... <laughs> I kind of say that, and it's he does. There's more to him than just the joke. But I also think, though, because he becomes so comedic, he's a little bit different in the tone, and yeah. and that is one reason why I think you know the chemistry probably is a little more seamless um, with with Link Letters Days than it is here. Well, and you're talking about like you you bring up what Cameron Crowe says like the fast times of their life. It's almost like Link Letters like let's slow this down and go in with a magnifying glass to their yeah. lives. Yeah. You know, so it's very different in their purposes, like from what you present of what Crow saying versus what Linklater says he wanted to accomplish yeah. with days. But it's funny, and, and that's the one thing we we talked about. How I think we both said it after we watched we watched both movies essentially back to back, and we the one thing we don't talk a lot before we do the show, and but one of the things we both agreed was. These movies aren't as similar as people no, make them no, out, no. And they're not as similar as we thought they were. Like you know it, but until you watch them literally back to back, you don't realize it. Well, and I think we had this but, joke too about this debate. So yeah. we we had so situated oh, them in our minds yeah. this way. But I think in the end, they both have essentially the same theme, right? Yeah. Kids that are trying to understand their place in the world and you know, kind of living by other people's rules and where that is taking them in the next stage that they're about to go. Yeah. I mean, it's probably a theme in most high school films. I mean, again, American Graffiti is exactly the same thing. So... Yeah. Just living. Yeah. L-I-V-I. So I'll give you cast chemistry because I, I cannot deny... You know the the chemistry between uh, Pink and and his friends. Um, I love. Oh, it feels the like they've been like playing around with each other since <laughs> elementary. Like there is, I love the scene with them, even just a small when they're talking to Mitch and they're like trying to get Mitch to be able to go home with the girl and trying to help yeah. him out. But just like how they play off, very yeah, you can see like, and I think he tried to recapture that with. Um, you know, that movie a couple of Everybody years ago. Wants Everybody some. Wants Some. That was just not there. Because it felt like a recreation of something that he captured at a very specific moment. And I think what you're bringing up, too, I would say, like, one of the, to me, some of the most genuine relations there are Mike, Tony, and Cynthia. Like, I feel like I knew Mike, Tony, and Cynthia. I may have been Cynthia at some point. Um Props to Marissa Ripsey, right? Yes. I think she's so good in this movie. She's phenomenal. Yeah. Just like how she reacts to like when Wooderson like hits on her and like how they talk about it. And like in many ways, like I love that Mike and Tony and Cynthia kind of become like the moral voices of the film. But like I love the the notion of because I think this rings so true. The 
hyper intellectuals in high school that understand that part of life is having experiences but are so intellectual they've not been having experiences and the need to go out and do that and what that looks like when they finally do. Mike getting in a fight, Tony making out with a girl that's younger than him, her wanting to go home with Wooderson. Like, it all feels like, I don't know, there's just such, there's so much authenticity to those three and how they interact with each other. I totally agree. You know, and I might give you a little bit of uh, some, <laughs> kind of where I'm going to be moving here on, but, like, something, we, we had a category we decided to drop off, and it was, I had put down secondary characters, and you're like, oh, I, I don't think we need that, and I was like, I don't even remember why I put that, but I actually had come up to me as we've been talking what that was about, and it's actually a credit probably the link letter of this, and something, again, I give a lot more credit to Dazed as opposed to Fast Times, is there's a lot more going on in the background. Uh, yes, there is. <laughs> and that's something that I really love about Days. Fast Times, what you're watching is is in front of you, and you're, you're taking in that moment, and, you know, the focus is what the focus is. You can have a ball with watching Days and just watching side characters in the background and things that are going on. It's yeah. really quite remarkable. Well, what Linklater did for that is they put paid for extras that were locals local young people in austin texas who were high school students some local youths <laughs> some local but literally the production team had to go to the actors and say this is texas they're underage their daddies have shotguns don't go near the extras <laughs> like legitimately because they were like there's a very different vibe down here i'm just gonna say my film which is central theme is around sex Seems to be a less sexed up than your film from a production standpoint. Oh, you're not wrong. And if you read anything about this movie, it feels genuine <laughs> to that. So, okay. So then I think we need to talk a little bit about story. Um, and I, yeah. This I, is rough, dude. I mean, there's no real story to Dazed, right? Well, you're in agreement there. It's a truer story than Fast Times. I told you we were going to fight Wait, during this well, episode. <laughs> What's rough then? <laughs> Why did you say it was rough? Because here, here's the hard thing. I think that I can evaluate that something I really appreciate is certainly very much in the style of American graffiti is something that feels like we are moving through this night with these young people with their varying desires. One of the things I really appreciate about fat or not fast times about days is I think Randall Pink Floyd is like kind of positioned as the main character, but kind of isn't either. Like he has a storyline that runs through, but it's all of these different vignettes of people who are kind of, kind of converge at the moon tower. You've got the kind of nerdy intellectuals from the high school. You've got, you know, seemingly the mean girls. You've got the, you know, the guys on the football team. You've got these, like, freshmen who are trying to get, like, initiated in the high school life. You've got your stoners. You've got kind of, like, this kind of all of these stories kind of converging. And what I really appreciate that from a storytelling standpoint is I feel like that really sings to something I want to see because I like seeing that convergence at the Moon Tower. And other than the fight um, that happens, nothing, like, super dramatic happens up there. It's just kind of like the... This is a normal night. It's not really building to anything. It's just about, all right, the kegger couldn't be delivered because the parents stayed home. So let's just party at the moon tower, you know? And then it's just about kind of 
some people getting to have the fruition of what they hope the night would be. And then, you know, you have like, like, you know, Pink like makes out with Jody, but he kind of has a girlfriend, but nothing really dramatic happens. It all just kind of like sizzles out and the sun comes up and everybody goes home. Here is what I'll say. And I don't like this. I like that kind of story. That story sings to me. I don't need some major denouement. I just need kind of a story and life happening. However, from a story standpoint, obviously Fast Times at Ridgemont High tells a tighter story in that particular way. Yeah. Okay, don't say <laughs> yeah like that. No, I mean... Stylistically, they're so different. Dazed is amazing with its characters. You have these fantastic characters throughout and they have these great lines and they play off of each other well and you feel like you are in this at this party with them you feel like you're traveling along with them right like you you feel like you're in the party but i don't know there is literally no change in these characters by the end of the film they are the same characters we get at the beginning and they're the same characters we get at the end and I think that's a credit. I, I agree with you. I think that there's that's nice. We don't always need that. But from a storytelling standpoint, it's no contest because, again, none of these characters grow at all. But I think that's a simplistic way of looking at this. Like, I don't think growth has to mean storytelling. I think progression of revealing something that feels relatable and feels true can be just as much storytelling without showing growth like i don't think you need that i think a hundred percent something that i love about fast times is that particularly with sorry jennifer jason lee's character Stacey. thank you stacy like with stacy and kind of everything that she goes through and kind of the ch subtle changes we see are going to happen to her you know i have some problems with some of the development of stacy's character um some things i wish had happened towards the end cap of that story that i think would have brought her character to a more uh complex fruition from a storytelling standpoint, but I agree that you see more growth in those characters, but I don't think that necessarily has to like completely demean that their story, a, a really great story being told in Days and Confused. It's just a very different kind of story. But I, mean, I, I don't want that again to come across. And sometimes, you know, when you have a difference of opinion, we talk about this a lot, it comes across like you're being harsh. I, I'm not putting Days down. Oh, no, no, I don't I think you to, are. But I will say, again, why I will choose fast times between a you know if i had one to go on my desert island you choose one this is i'm gonna take fast times you're really taking fast times over days and confused oh, yeah oh yeah Ew. fast times plays like a documentary like i feel like i am traveling days and confused plays like a documentary fast times plays like a very elevated teenager movie um no, not at yes, all. It is it, it does not play like a documentary. That's the beauty of this movie. I think again, you know, I, one thing Linklater has in his, you know, he's a, you know, I'll, you know, I'll save that in a minute um, when we talk about soundtrack, and I'll bring that point up. But Crow, what he was trying to write here was, you know, that adolescence and turmoil is, is, you know, important. Like, he wasn't trying to exploit any of these, you know, uh, kids. But he's also showing the humor side. Like, the, as he put it, kids like to have fun. And I think that's why we talk about it's more of a drama with some funny aspects to it. Um, because it feels more realistic. Um, and I 
feel like all of these characters, again, yeah, this film was done in 1982. I was two years old at the time, so no, I didn't go through high school at that time. But I can still say now as a 41-year-old that I know those characters, and I, and I knew those characters in high school and when the first time I seen this film, and they resonate. And I love that we get an entire year and, and all of the characters, to me, we follow and we see. And, and not everybody, I agree, grows in a positive way, but I think... And I don't think everyone grows in your film. I think that... You know, uh, Mark and Stacy are obviously the two central characters, and then they have these two older friends that are trying to guide them through, and and almost, I don't want to say it like this, but almost take these two lame friends under their wings, so they can almost have an authority figure over them, and almost have this, and and they follow and they try to guide them, and then these two kids who are coming into high school for the first time have to learn the world and what they're trying to do. And and I just don't think that we get a character like Stacy in any other high school films. Um, I think Mark is, is really well done. You know, he's not the most well-acted character, and I think that's what, you know, probably is a little bit of my negative shot at it. Um, but I think the character and what we see him go through and how he's trying to kind of... He's a good guy, and he's trying to keep that and not be somebody different and and still find his way and then you have like you talked about Spicoli and what he kind of figures out in the world like there are just and we see this through the course of the year I leave in like some of the characters like um Jeff I'm sorry um oh god it why is his name escaping me Forrest Whitaker um I in all of my paper shuffling, I, I lost my character name. I'll just call him Tommy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, he's not Tommy. But he, you know, I, I like what they do with him. He's supposed to be kind of on the outskirts. We're not supposed to know a lot. Charles, about him. I think Charles. His name thank is you. Yeah, you know, we're not supposed to know a lot about him, but we we see kind of how he's used throughout the film and, and, and used throughout the school that everybody kind of puts him in a box. Um, well, and I think they make like kind of a mythical story about yeah. him like the he well he gets flown in to play on the team and stuff like and that and i just and we see Brad be put through the ringer throughout and and you have this guy that's on top of the world going into his senior year and he thinks it's going to be everything and it's you just kind of you know where other films like you he just is beat down as it goes but it's all done in such a natural understanding way like i feel so bad Brad, everything that goes wrong with Brad is because of Arnold. You know, he tries oh, to bring Arnold in to where he's at. He's the king of the, the fast food place. And Arnold, you know, lays them out to hanging up dry and everything goes wrong from there. And him just trying, you know, we, we just, I made you watch a deleted scene the other night. And I think that yes, deleted scene yeah. was great about him going to his guidance counselor and the guidance counselor explaining to him essentially like, you don't be a slacker and just have fun. And he's like, I'm working my butt off every day because you're supposed to think that Stacy and Brad don't come from well-to-do family. Like he's got to work for everything that he's got. And, and you just feel this heartbreak for him as he just keeps getting beat down. And then he finally gets that moment at the end to yeah. feel worthwhile. And I, I like that. I like all these characters and I don't even think it's again, like I hate trying to make it such like a, you know, fighting type way, but like I feel like it's not even close. It's a knockout for fast times. And you know, and obviously on the other side of it, I heartily disagree. I don't disagree with the things you said. I think there is, 
I think there is a missing piece to the Stacy character that I think is not the fault of Cameron Crowe or Amy Hackerling, but I think is the fault of filmmaking at the time. I think that character written now in an environment where female stories, and there's still a lot of work to go, go are being more embraced. I think that film features much more prominently on Stacy in a way that really dives into the things that happen to her and occur. I give Jennifer Jason Lee a lot of credit because I think she does some of that work without it being written on the page. But in storytelling, they're very different stories to me. To me, the characters of Dazed and Confused feel incredibly genuine. I didn't go to school in Texas. Well, not high school anyways. Um, I know those characters. I know people just like that. And I didn't go to school in the 70s either. So I think what I appreciate about both stories is they distill, I think, different versions of high school experiences and different kind of growth. Because, you know, you have, as you pointed out, you've got Stacy who's in her sophomore year of high school, um, you know, trying to come into her own, trying to figure out what that is. And that, that self-discovery is really important. I think where Dazed and Confused is obviously very different is it's not showing growth. It's kind of showing wants and needs and, like, these people at these very specific moments in time in their like high school career, but that also feel incredibly relatable. People who are going into their senior year, people who are going into high school for the first time and what that exactly means. Um, you know, the hierarchies that come, you know, Richard Linklater, he pays the air raid sequences and the paddle sequences. Those actually happened to him in high school. Um, it actually happened on his baseball team, the air raid thing. And it was as he quoted, which is really funny because I believe it's, I think it's Mike who says it in the film. It was sanctioned by the town. People from the town would come out and watch the air raids that they would do to the freshman girls. And he said, like, this is something he, you know, wanted to capture because it was just this insane thing that would happen. Um, and, and no, those things didn't happen to me in high school. But, you know, the things in Fast Times at Ridgemont High didn't come. But, you know, there is some universality, even when you didn't live in those spaces, if you knew people who were like that or you knew those kind of experiences or if nothing else, you knew the emotions. And what I love about Dazed and Confused is that Days and Confused shows all that hopefulness you enter high school with of what this could potentially be like. And what if it comes to fruition in a night? Or, you know, a character like O'Banion is actually a very interesting case study. I knew someone like O'Banion in high school that acted tough and was accepted by his social group, but also kind of hated by his social group. Like, oh, that really weird person. And honestly... There, I think there are layers to O'Banion. Like, I think he's brutal because yeah. he knows he's not accepted. You know, like, yeah. he knows. So he has to kind of overcompensate for that. I love the character of Wooderson. I think there's a very cynical way of looking at Wooderson, but I think Linklater treats him with a lot of cool, probably because it was Matthew McConaughey playing him. So from a story standpoint, where I'm going to call this a draw is this. I don't think our stories are the same. Um, I don't think, I know you think you win this one and I think I win this one. And I think we're both arguing it well, but I don't think at the end, I think our desire for the types of stories we're looking for are what are hampering either of us from actually winning this argument because you're looking for something different than I am and our films support what we're looking for. So I think kind of getting off of story and moving on to one of our next categories and probably a category we'll both agree on and there's probably not a lot of debate on this one. I won't lie. I actually... <laughs> so we're going to talk about soundtrack, right? Uh, both of these films are heavily talked about with their soundtrack. I honestly thought <laughs> I would think that this was a little bit closer than it was until I really went back and rewatched the movie and looked at both soundtracks. Um, but both movies are 
the music is important to both, right? So it's hard not to talk about that. Um, you know, obviously, and, and we talk a lot about Crow. Crow is so huge with his music, and he was so influential in the music in this film. So he did have say. Oh yeah. Okay, yeah. I didn't know if he did. I know you referenced earlier that yes. he was involved in production. I was curious if he the soundtrack actually, came in. You know, you know, in my you know half-ass internet research um, <laughs> for my rewatchable fans. Um, you know, if my what I'm understanding correctly is yes, he actually helped curate a lot of original songs for this film and got a lot of so his he used a lot of his resources. Now, one notable blunder in the movie obviously they they you know which was the led zeppelin song they dropped the ball on because damone tells him to make sure that he puts on led zeppelin uh four. Oh, that's and right and it comes back with cashmere um oh my gosh that's right <laughs> So they couldn't get, they had that film, but then they couldn't get the rights to that. Oh, <laughs> so. that's right. Can I tell you, I thought it always just played like Mark didn't know what he was talking about. And that's why about. it works. Yeah. So if you know the okay. background, that's what the song plays because they couldn't get the rights. But Emmy Heckerlin and them all went, it kind of just shows that Mark flubs it. Right? Like, uh, so it still works from he does so good with story that. standpoint. Oh. <laughs> good with that date he tries so hard i know, moved on a I bit know from but direction but yeah. i think the scene with them at the house is done and like them trying to talk to each other where they're both at at different spots him having demone in his head and like overthinking everything yeah. the shot at their feet of what's going on it's telling the whole story about what's going on in their head as opposed to what's going on in their body language uh, just really good stuff there when he looks back at the door oh yeah uh, yes. and the light goes on off. Oh. <laughs> so <listen>. that feels <laughs> very real. <laughs> I'm gonna say I'm gonna I'm gonna say the couple of you know credits that I give uh, here, and then I'll we'll come back. Uh, I'll finish up the soundtrack because I'll let you talk in length about Dave's soundtrack here. Somebody's baby to me, Jackson Brown, is such the song from this movie it should be oh, called yeah. Stacy's song. Like, it, it's <gasps> wouldn't so... that be cool if it was? <laughs> yeah. So. So good. But, I mean, and you can't deny, though, the great opening with the Go-Go's. Um, yes. Going around the mall and, and introducing these characters and how the, that Go-Go song just plays really well. And then you get to the, you know, another shot then with the montage of the high school and introducing all the characters again at the high school and where they kind of play with American Girl by Tom Petty. So such great music. A lot of great music. Um, but I'll let you go because I, I'm not going to deny that fast time or excuse me days has the better soundtrack but when you're done i do have one thing i want to say about it oh i'm really intrigued what that is <laughs> it's funny so obviously we knew this was going to be in debate format and when mm -hmm. i was writing down the categories i wasn't sure which way a lot of things would go because obviously i knew we were gonna you know kind of come ready to argue kind of our points and the first one of the first things i wrote in my notes after you gave me the categories i, was, I wrote tuesday's gone argument oh, over yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And I was yeah. like, he can't argue that my soundtrack's better. Dude, I can't. I mean, no, not at all. It's, Love Hurts, Tuesday's Gone. Uh, I used to listen to that soundtrack a lot in high school. Oh, really? Yeah, I did, yeah. Cherry Bomb. Yeah. I mean, good. Slow Ride's fantastic. 
But even at that, I would say probably, and I love the song Tuesday's Gone. It's one of my, like, and I can say it kind of like ranks up there in some of my favorite songs. And I was like, it just feels to cap, like it really can kind of capture a moment and like a vibe. It's a very specific vibe. Like you're happy, but you're nostalgic, but you're kind of melancholic. Like, I don't know. It just captures a lot of vibes. Linklater, this was one of the fiercest battles he had with Universal Studios. Universal Studios at this time was twin filming um, um, Schindler's List in Jurassic Park. Mm. So um, they had really, like, Richard, but they had also had prior to that a bunch of commercial flops. So the hold that they put on him for the amount of money he was allowed to have and how long he could film was really, really tight. And this was... I forget what the percentage is. I want to say it was something ridiculous, like 70% of the film's budget went to the music rights. Because Not shocking. he really wanted to capture, and he had created um, a four-sided mixtape of songs that he wanted included in the film. Um, a lot of them made it. Um, there's some. There's a few songs in here that I really wish had made it, um, just because they're great songs. One in particular, um, so he had on his list that he wanted Bruce Springsteen's 10th Avenue Freeze Out. And I love that song so much. That song does not fit in the world of Dazed and Confused. <laughs> it's not a Dazed and Confused yeah. song. I love that song. I want it in here, but no, at the same time. Spe it's, do you know, um, speaking of Springsteen, yeah. uh, did you know Bruce Springsteen's sister is in Fast Times at Ridgemont High? <laughs> yes, I did, actually. <laughs> Which yeah. is kind of crazy, yeah. like, because it's not so like... But he doesn't know, yes. Yeah. So uh, Pamela Springsteen, Bruce Springsteen's sister, is one of the cheerleaders at the uh, in the gymnasium. Yeah, which is just, like, kind of fantastic. Like, those little, like, kind of stories. And certainly there's a lot with, like, the cast itself, but just that there's someone there. One song I do really wish made it from his listing um, is David Bowie's Golden Years. Um, I think Golden Years would have fit really well. I actually think that's probably what uh, Wooderson should have entered the pool hall with that yeah. playing instead. Probably would have been more <laughs> appropriate. Um, but it's such a great soundtrack. Like... And I remember, and even in my notes, I was like, this movie starts with sweet emotion. How can you not pick this as one of the best soundtracks of all time? And there's just, now, and I will say, I am not a music aficionado. If there is anachronistic uses of songs, mm. I am not aware. This is supposed to be said on the last day of school in 76. Some of this might not match up. So I apologize if I'm not pointing that stuff out. Point of order. Go. Actually, uh, no, uh, something I actually want to say, and, and you said that, it's a good timing for me to point out one thing. One small defense of my film here, Fast Time. I don't, wouldn't say that Fast Time has a bad soundtrack. It has no, a very no, no, good no, soundtrack. it's a very good soundtrack. Yes. They don't compare. The one thing, though, I'll give the Ling Letter has an advantage over, and this is something that we were talking about as direction and, and story and things like that. Linkletter made a film in 1992 set in 1976. So he was able to curate classic songs. Fast Times is a film made in 1982, about 1982, and using original songs and songs of the time. So the fact that Fast Times, you know, is still that good and still to this day, you know, kind of holds up from that soundtrack standpoint. And even that's, I think it's a huge, just something to think about. So I think it does give a lot of credit to Fast Times from that end of it. And nothing against Langletter. He used great music. but And used is, it well. Yeah. Uh, but there is a little bit of an easier time to use music that you already know are classic hits that are going to, to 
knock it out of the park. No, a hundred percent. Like, and, and that's a really important thing because you can be reflective of what of the songs feel like that time. And certainly Linklater got to be, you know, reflective about his own, own time in the seventies, thinking about the songs that meant something to him. You know, you have schools out by Alice Cooper, you brought up, um, love hurts. You've got low rider. Um, you know, there's just so you got fog hat. I just want to make love to you. Like there's so many good stuff. So- the, the, the Jim Carrey. Harry. <laughs> And he was on the MTV Movie Awards one year. <laughs> Does anyone in here want to listen to some fog hat? <laughs> yeah, so. Oh, yeah. There's, uh, oddly, there's a very interesting exclusion that he wasn't able to get the rights for. And oddly enough, it's a Led Zeppelin song. The song Dazed and Confused. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> which was not included. Is listed on his track list. And again, cannot, um, cannot say this enough. I'm not done with it yet. Uh, but the Melissa Merritt's book, All Right, All Right, All Right, it's like kind of a definitive history of the film of this, uh, or the filmmaking process of this. Highly recommend checking it out. There's so many gem stories in here. But his original track list is one of those gems that's in here. And yeah, you Dazed wins. Uh, the fact that we just bought the vinyl a couple weeks ago and not the Fast Times vinyl is, is yeah. enough said. Can I say something? And I know this is going to sound like really odd. Um... The vinyl itself, how it's designed and how it looks, has a real stoner vibe. And I know they're smoking a lot of weed in this movie, but I never think of this movie as a stoner movie. What? I'm very serious. <laughs> I mean that very genuinely. I mean that so genuinely. Are you talking about the smiley face? Yeah. Because the smiley face looks all hot and stuff. <laughs> all right. At the core, Fast Times, sex movie. Dazed, stoner movie. There's no debating that. <laughs> It's a movie about <laughs> frequenting your local establishments, your pool hall, They're much more your than moon those towers. Films. They're much yes. more than those descriptions. Fair. I, I, so here's my quick little Maybe side it's just my, like, story yeah. about the, the dazed and confused smiley face. So <laughs> when I was uh, running for class president oh, when I was God. in high school, I, uh, my sister Erica helped me make all these cool posters, and one was a Pink Floyd The Wall poster, like, voting for I. Not shocked. With the cross hammers and everything. Uh, one was, um, some Grateful Dead Bears, and then I used the Dazed and Confused smiley face <laughs> on tons of them, so. I was putting out a sterner vibe, I just didn't realize yeah. it. <laughs> I'm just saying, I won. <laughs> But what I love about that so much is even everything you're talking about, we're such like wonderful throwbacks to like other high school times, but we're so recognizable. And I think it just speaks to like what Dazed and Confused meant. It's about the 70s, but it felt like very relevant to your, you know, 90s high school life. Oh, yeah. I kind of enjoy that. But yeah. I like stoner culture just not being a stoner. Yeah. (laughs) But it's so weird as I mean that so genuinely. And I know the title is Dazed and Confused, but I never think of this as like a stoner. Oh, good God. I think so, I'm going to get checkmark in my category. Can I tell you, I think you win the story category now for me saying, maybe I don't understand what this movie is about. You're sitting here going in like really intently trying to dissect this movie for way more than what it is. Um, yeah. So, all right. So sound moving on from soundtrack. soundtrack I, yeah. Days. Um, you know, kind of. Next one would be the iconic characters. Oh, this is um, tough. This is a head-to-head of Wooderson versus Piccoli. Um, I assumed because we wouldn't, we wouldn't, we wouldn't feature Slater versus Spicoli. 
No, no, no. There's also great characters, obviously. Yeah. I mean, Slater's another awesome character. Um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of great characters. I mean, obviously, Linda is a great character, like, another iconic character. Like, there's Brad, I think. There's, yeah. I mean, there's good characters. Michelle. But at the end of the day, when people talk about the movies, the first things they think of is Matthew McConaughey as Wooderson and, you know, Sean, serious actor Sean Penn as Spicoli. Okay, so, all right, so it's Spicoli v. Wooderson. Who do you think wins? Are you, are you Spicoli? I'm Team Wooderson. Oh my god. <laughs> team Spicoli. I, I had a feeling this was gonna <laughs> happen. <laughs> um, I, I, I have come to appreciate Spicoli more. I think he's very funny at times, but again, he feels a little more misplaced in this movie. Get out of here, Curtis. I don't hear you unless you knock. <laughs> um... But I, Matthew McConaughey just takes a character that should just be straight up creep and makes him awesome. <laughs> be a whole lot cooler if you did. <laughs> I love what he's talking to um, at the car. He's talking to Marissa. Uh, um, Ripsy, the Ripsy character. Yeah, when he's just like, you know, lose the losers being here but we'll talk about that later. Like he's just, every line, I'm all, I'm hanging with. Yeah, all right. All right, I think you've won me back over to Wooderson. One of my, do you know what one of my all-time favorite Wooderson lines is? I'm here. When he just, they're trying to get him to leave, yeah. and he stays at the pool hall, and he goes, I'm here. And he yeah. just steps forward. I'm like, why is that the coolest everyone, anyone has ever been in the history of the earth? <laughs> but, you know. He's so awesome. McCauley, we can't deny. I mean, he, he the checkered. You That's know. my skull. <laughs> um, I love his line when he's just talking to Mr. Hanry. He's like, I know that dude. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like there's a, there's a lot of really great moments with him. And it's funny to see him now knowing that the person that Sean Penn is. Um, but I know, I know Spicoli has a very special place in your yes, heart. It does, so I was sure. not surprised that we would probably be on different sides, <sighs> ironically enough. And this, category i experienced fast times through my dad and my brother wearing the checkered demons as they call them the van <laughs> shoes and doing the spicoli dance before i saw fast times like i knew the character before going in maybe that's why always fast times is such a shock to the system because i'm just thinking about my dad and my brother doing that dance and not knowing there's a whole lot more to that film <laughs> but so the spicoli thing like reigns supreme in my mind but oh man is wooderson cool i don't know do we give it to wooderson there's I, to me no it's a t it's, oh, it's at a, best it's a tie it's at best a tie i mean i think both are played by oscar winning like excellent, right, <laughs> excellent actors, both just at their prime. You know, Wooderson maybe the only edges that Matthew McConaughey has just made a career still on it. Like, it's it's an interesting kind of like he's, yeah. You know, I mean, he obviously got up and did the all right when he won his Oscar. When he did that, it's one of it's that's a top Oscar moment for yeah. me when he does that and just embraces and he talks about that how much he loves being known for Wooderson. Which is so cool. You would think he would want to be known for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> he dialed that up to 100. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so, I mean, good time. All right. So, we'll, we'll call this. I mean, both characters are great. Uh, I mean, both characters have great lines and both characters are funny. What? Both characters have heart. Both characters have stood the test of time. And, and again, if you talk to somebody that hasn't seen either movie, more than likely they know them. 
Fantastic point. Let's call it a draw. All right. Draw it is. But it's a good time to now move on to the other thing about these movies. Quotes. Um, Iconic quotes, right? Like, these movies are very quotable. Um, Now, it's going to be interesting because I think Dazed is probably funnier and probably... Because to me, the most quotable lines from Fast Times are going to come from Spicoli. Yeah, 100%. Like, those are going to be the yeah. lines that if you're hanging with your friends, you make the line. Like, you know, shouldn't drive on lewds or whatever. You know, yeah. you know like, there's, there's, a, um, there's a lot of really good, funny lines from Fast Times, but dazed is just one after another. That's another. better entree. <laughs> like, yeah, Spicoli. Yeah, it's, it's tough because I feel like... Like not everybody's out there running out there quoting Brad, right? Like no. everybody's felt like Brad at <laughs> yes. work, but not everybody's quoting Brad. Yeah, I think that's like one of the hard things. So I was thinking about this, and I'm like, in the um, in the like kind of you know gallery of like high school films, I wouldn't even say that these are the two most quotable high school films. But at that, I'll still give the in my opinion, I was gonna feel Dazed like we're, has a Dazed. Lot, though. You a and lot. I say a lot of things from Dazed and Confused to each other. Oh, pretty yeah. frequently especially it'd be a whole lot cooler if you did oh, yeah. we say that all the time yeah i mean throughout that i mean every scene probably has a funny or quotable line throughout the entire movie like men 50 of you are going on a mission 25 of you ain't coming back yeah 100 percent because and first off, one of the great moments is when he's smiling when he sees that they're scared. It's so demented, but it's so funny. And like that's there's a lot of like small lines too. Oh, another one that you and I quote all the time. I wanna dance. Oh yeah. <laughs> like it's just it in context or out of context, it probably doesn't seem that funny, but in context it's great. He has that other great line, the I'm just trying to be honest about being a misanthrope. Like there's just so many ones like that. There's yeah. Parker Posey. Okay, all right, gosh, my second effort of the of the podcast. Okay, you freshman fox. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's just great. Yeah. Like, ah, oh, it's hard. It's a really fun movie to quote. Yeah, I like what's the when they talk about the um, the coach's grandmother. She. <laughs> Two fifty, just one ninety back in my day. <laughs> Still drove that truck though. <laughs> like, no, you're right. There are so many like little moments like that, and I wonder how much of that, like some of those favorite lines, came from the improv of that. Like, all right, all right, all right, is improv. Yeah, that was Matthew McConaughey brought that into the fold. There's a lot of kind of uh, story about who Linklater based these characters on. They actually did try and sue because um, there was a Randall Pink Floyd and like yeah. and those people who grew up with him. But like I don't know. There's you know so it, whether it's improvised or not. There's just a lot of great lines in that movie. You talking about that with the suing of actors? Um, or, I mean of the character. That was a big thing, obviously, with Crow and Fast Times. Was it? So the guy Andy Rathbone who. Mark Ratner, um, and I uh, may have actually called him Rathbone earlier, so who might Mark Ratner was based off of, he actually was really upset because he said that character was based off of him, but then he also had the cool parts. He says that he's the one that actually ordered the pizza to the room, and like um, he did a lot of, that they gave a lot of his stuff to Spicoli. Um, funny kind of thing about this guy he ends up going on and writing a good majority of the four dummies books <laughs> so that guy is who when you're thinking watching you know mark ratbury that's who 
he, the guy went on to write all the Four Dummies books. I'm befuddled, my friend. You've just thrown some knowledge at me that I was not expecting. One, you can't be both Spicoli and Mark. Those two, the, the limit does not exist. You cannot be both of those characters. Secondly, Mark, embrace it, man. You were the only nice guy outside of Brad and Charles in the entire movie. There's a lot of garbage people in this movie. like, And I mean that in, in the way in which we are oftentimes flawed as teenagers. You know... But it's just, like, interesting to me because it's like, you know, they always say to writers, write what you know. But then when it becomes big, it's like, okay, but now you might get sued for writing that, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting that they have that connection, Mm -hmm. these two films, that they both had people who felt like, hey, my life I mean, I'm a little surprised to see you hear that about Dazed. Uh, Obviously, Fast Times I wasn't because I knew it was based off the book that he had things. So the characters obviously were going to be, you know. And my understanding was... You know, they really, for years, kept it under wraps what school he was in. Actually, the students were eventually the ones, you really? know, and most of that was so that there wasn't an issue with you, being sued. Can you imagine going to that high school and seeing an interview with Cameron Crowe and being like, oh, hell, that guy went to our high school. <laughs> yes. Wait, he wasn't a student? Like, can you imagine that experience of finding that information out? Kind of wild. Um, so are we giving quotable to dazed is yes. that where we're settling? Yes. Okay, I think, you know, uh, yeah. uh, that's fair. Yes, you can't can't argue there. Um, you know, I had most iconic scene. I feel like we've talked him to death. I don't think there's really a need to, you know, I don't even know really, maybe Wooderson, you know, maybe some of the paddling stuff. I don't... Uh, you know, I was it's trying funny. to... funny. I don't know if you have... I mean, unfortunately, there is a most iconic scene in Fast Times that is... <laughs> I wrote in my notes, he wins this. Yeah. Not for reasons I really want to talk about, but he wins this. Right. <laughs> yeah, because I think that kind of, and this actually might come back to perhaps a mark towards the story element we were talking earlier days, because again, it's kind of slice of life. There's not really, I think, one iconic scene in particular. I think there's definitely things you pull clips, and I think it's going to be Wooderson at the pool hall is probably one of those clips you pull. Um, interesting, you know when uh, Mitch throws the bowling ball? Yeah. That actually happened. He wasn't supposed to throw the bowling ball out the window. B.S. No, he didn't throw it at the car. <laughs> no, no, no. I saw how Mitch threw that ball away. <laughs> An inch in front of that car. <laughs> Do you know he had he lied about being a pitcher to get the role, and then I when he came, yeah, he came out and Linkletter had to hire a pitching coach. <laughs> no, so what happened is they were driving down the street filming the scene. He wasn't supposed to drop the bowling ball because it was going to cut away to like then the sh- like eventually the shot of the car. He dropped the bowling ball outside of the car, so the reaction you see from Pickford <laughs> is genuine to. Oh my god, he just threw the bowling ball out of the car. But he didn't hit the window because you're right, he can't throw for anything. <laughs> Alright, so moving on from iconic scenes, where does that take us then? So now we're at the um, actor launching pad. Um, and I think we can breeze through this a little bit. Um, I find this challenging. Well, what are we basing on it, right? Like, I, I think that will be the interesting thing. Um... I, I added it up. I have one, two, three, four, five Oscar winners coming out of this film. What five? I just invoked the holy Oscar. Yeah, I know you did. Because that's exactly the argument I was going to throw. Who do you have? I got Sean Penn. Sean Penn. Forrest Whitaker. Forrest Whitaker, yeah. Cameron Crowe for writing. What did, which one did he, he write? He won for Almost Famous. That's right. Wrote. That's right. You're not wrong. Um, Nicolas Cage. 
Nicolas Cage. Yes, which we haven't talked about, which I'll give you a tidbit of in a second. Nicolas Cage was in this movie. Yes, folks. Yeah. He was a very big part as one of Brad's friends. Funny thing, he this was his first ever movie. He was Nicholas Coppola in yes. the movie. Changed his name because of this movie because he was so bullied. And they he would never say who it was, but a lot of the actors just kept quoting... Um, um, Sophia Coppola. No, 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 no. Um, sorry, why is why is this keeping me? Um, Apocalypse Now lines <gasps> Adam, no. and basically acting as if the only reason he got any part was because he was actually up for Brad. And they talk about the fact that he didn't get it because he he had read for the part eleven times, but he made it too dark. <laughs> I see that. Yeah, I see uh, it. So they end up casting him. He ends up changing his name after Fast Times because of um, he didn't want people to think that and he didn't like being bullied ryan william tossey just dropping all sorts of knowledge <laughs> left and right leaving um, all stunned. and i apologize i i said that there were five there was four oscar winners five nominated jennifer jason lee was nominated as well for yeah I didn't, yeah i didn't think she had won but i remembered yeah. that she had been nominated so we got well all right so i was gonna go with the oscar thing first because you've yeah. got matthew mcconaughey You've got Ben Affleck. You've got Richard Linklater. You've got Renee Zellweger. I was, I was, I was wondering if you were going to remember Zellweger. Yeah. Renee Zellweger. Wait, who um, do you have? Who, who did you say? Matthew McConaughey. Uh-huh. Um, why am I blanking? Um, oh, my gosh. Renee Zellweger. Okay. Ben Affleck. Okay. And then uh, Richard Linklater. What Didn't he win for something for Boyhood and I was mad about it? I'll Remember, didn't he win for screenplay? I, I, I gotta fact check myself. What screenplay was Boyhood? That's fair. I thought I, he maybe was... I'm wrong. I could be wrong. You could be right about that. You know, I'll have to fact check myself. because that's... He was nominated of nothing He was else. nominated. And I, I may have had him listed under nominations. And I might be uh, misre- misremembering that Oscar season. Uh, mainly because I felt like it was talked about so much that Oscar season. Um, but what I find really interesting about this, because I would say definitively the Renee Zellweger, Ben Affleck, Matthew McConaughey, like trifecta of Oscar winners is pretty impressive. You have a lot of other careers that come out of this. Joey Lauren Adams, obviously much more prominent, like particularly in the 90s. Uh, Parker Posey, um, who is kind of that person in a lot of things. Adam Goldberg, who's had a very steady career. Anthony Rapp, who goes on to, he was in a Tony Award winning Broadway musical, which is Rent. He originated the role of Mark. Um, Cole Hauser, in some way, he's had a very consistent career. Trajectory and then it's completely dropped out at this point. But I mean, I like actually like Klauser, so um, you would. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's like one of those very odd things to me when you're looking at this cast because uh, uh, Mila Jovovich being like you know yeah. a big person Another, within this. I remember she made they made such a big deal about her being in this movie when it came out, and she has such a background part. It's kind of crazy. But you know what? The thing is, as I'll say, is her her part, and maybe it's just because I mean. She is Mila Jovovich, and she's just kind of fascinating to watch. I find her fascinating to watch in the movie, even if it's not a remarkably in-depth performance. Like, she's just kind of interesting to see. Like, she does small things that I think are kind of, like, interesting. But, like, all of those actors had pretty fruitful careers post-Dazed and Confused. They did. Um, it's, it's hard to argue with that. I mean... You know, obviously we talked about Judge Reinhold is a staple. Everybody knows yes. Judge Reinhold. Yes. So, I mean, that's huge. But you are right. Phoebe Cates is such a name. Um, You know, she took a back, you know, she took kind of, she went to be 
when she had kids, she was married to Kevin Klein. She is married to Kevin Klein. When she had kids, she kind of pretty much retired from acting. So yeah, yeah. her career just kind of stopped at one point. Um, but I mean, such an you know another great '80s actress. Um, Ray Walston, he was my favorite Martian. As uh, Mr. Han. Oh so, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, interesting. That actually was supposed to go to uh, Fred Gwynn. Um, oh, sometimes yeah. did is better. <laughs> you didn't go with Herman Munster, huh? There are many Herm. One of my all-time favorite quotes from Herman Munster was about him trying to teach Eddie about like why you should accept everyone. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I just saw that recently. I think some. Someone we know on Instagram had posted it, and I and every time I see it, I yeah. well up a little. Yeah, bit. Um, but he actually didn't take it because he didn't. He he was supposed to be it, and then didn't like the content of the film. Um, so I gotcha. Okay, he decided to take the movie later on about the you know cats and people coming back from the dead. Sometimes <laughs> it is better. But yeah, so that was an interesting. Um, you know, Amanda Wiss. Um, who played Lisa, who was Brad's girlfriend. She was a big 80s actress, Better Off Dead. Um, and I, That's who she is! <laughs> Do you know her huge notoriety in the horror community, though? Oh. She is Freddy Krueger's first victim. She was oh, Tina Gray. Wow. In, yeah, so... Um, Good for you for knowing that. But then we also have Don't Forget, Don't Sleep On. We got... Um, Anthony Edwards, Goose himself, Dr. Green, and actual best friends at the time who got the movie rolled together to play Spicoli's friends, Stoltz. Yeah, Stoltz. Eric Stoltz is, you know, hung around. Stoltz could be, you know what, it's maybe a mark to say he could have been a carefree version of McFly, man. He seems pretty carefree in this. You know what, I had this question come up and I want to ask this to you. So anybody, I'm assuming... Is Eric Stoltz at this point more known for his acting roles or the guy that got fired from Back to the Future? 100% the latter. Yeah. I think it might be true at this point. Yeah, it really is because I think at this point, I don't think they you know. They've done him dirty, uh, as you yeah, would say. Yeah, they did him real dirty. <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of interesting when you talk about, like, the actors that are in this. I think we both have some serious, and I hate to say it this way, like, brand, like household name actors in, in the films. I would say... Matthew McConaughey and Ben Affleck, I think, give Dazed kind of an edge. I don't, most people are not going to remember that Renee Zellweger was in it, so I don't know if she 100% counts for I this. I Nicolas Cage in here. I, he's in, like... I remember that Nicolas Cage was <laughs> yeah. in it, but, like, you know, so I would say that's that's something that leans me more towards Dazed because it feels like it was a really good launching pad for that. Um, You know, and Renee Zellweger, she had actually auditioned for a larger role and just didn't get it. Um, and obviously she ends up having a very fruitful career. And Matthew McConaughey, as you brought up that great Oscars moment, like he keeps the DNA of this film, like very much a part of his, like, or I should say makes this very much the part of his career in terms of its DNA, in terms of things he refers back to. So I think it's, I don't, I'm leaning a little more dazed, but I feel like you brought up some really important actors too. I think from it's hard fast. to argue that it's a tie. <laughs> yeah. It's because different, different yeah. types of careers and different, right. uh, you know, because is it is does launching pad mean they got so many roles off of this or does launching pad mean they Man. had the most consistent career after this because i think of all of the actors we've talked about it's the real it's testament much, to both movies actually it really is um, yeah and i think it really goes back to the chemistry right why we talk about the chemistry really works with both both sets of cast um because they were great actors on top of it and i think this brings us to some closing arguments so i think 
let's each take the opportunity to mention anything we hadn't mentioned yet or and to make the case for why our film is the superior high school film. <laughs> you Ryan, <know. laughs> you first. All right. No, so I do want a, a couple of things for both films, I think, to talk about, you know. Well, a couple of small trivia things I just thought were interesting here was, um, did you know that uh, Forrest Whitaker, he was actually an opera singer, and he was at a school for for being, and they were um, casting, so he just went over with some buddies just on a whim to do, to, um, you know, audition, and ends up getting this part. That's so cool. And his phenomenal speaking voice is so indicative of that yeah, training. right? Wow. Then, yeah. Right on. And then do you know what his second movie is? This is his first. Do you know what his second movie is? No. All-time greatest sports movie, Vision Quest. Really? <laughs> yes. Oh, that's funny. Um, so that was just, uh, you know, one thing I, I thought was interesting. Uh, the movie was shot over eight weeks. It was actually in a working high school. Oh, wow. Um, that's so rare. That's how big the campus on the school was. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess this wasn't, you know. A couple of things I thought were interesting for both films, um, you know, just kind of looking. IMDb had them at, the, they were 7.2 for Fast Times and 7.6 for Days. So I thought the, it was interesting that yeah, they were both so sure. close like that. However, that's on a 10 point scale for IMDb if you're not. Something I'm going to tell you is probably going to lean in your way here for the Rotten Tomatoes. 77% for Rotten Tomatoes um, and then 80% on the audience score. It wasn't a super well received film at the time. People didn't get it. And I I mean that in they, they thought it was confusing on whether this was a raunchy comedy because of how it was, you know. Yeah. And. Roger Ebert absolutely hated it. Um, he loved your movie. Um, I'm not surprised yeah. as someone who has watched and read a lot of Roger Ebert's commentary. I'm not shocked he doesn't I'm love curious Fast if he Times. changed later because I know he changed a lot of stuff. Yeah. But, um, Rotten Tomato, though, for days, 92%. That's right. Certified and fresh. And 90% on the audience score. So I, I was a little surprised by that. Um, I thought that was really quite interesting. Um, honestly, one of the things I also thought with both films were looking at how they were marketed. Um, because you look at the two posters, obviously. Fast Times is is Spicoli and all yes. the zaniness of Spicoli, right? It's not what that movie's about. I think Days works a little bit better. Um, you know, but the taglines were interesting. Days Confused tagline was, it was the last day of school in 1976, a time they'd never forget, if only they could remember. Which is so reductive. I, I, and I agree. We talked about whether it was a, a stoner movie. It is but it's a much more sophisticated stoner movie. Like, that just reduced, you know, is, re yeah, it, yeah. Oh, can I tell you why that makes me mad? Because, again, I'm going to claim that, yes, there's a lot of weed in this movie, but I'm not going to classify it super just stoner flick. And that just markets it that way. But I also get why you want to market that way. How about this? Fast Times. Yeah. And I know we, we've gone to battle, but you've got their tagline. Fast cars, fast girls, fast carrots. Dot, 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 fast carrots, question mark. Literal tagline for this movie on a poster. So sometimes Hollywood's scared when oh women God, right. direct films and then make stupid taglines that are also 
so insane. It's kind of like sometimes the insulting thing that I think is for Fast Times that I remember, like, oh, the Phoebe Cates scene. Like, that's so insulting to what the film is. And listen, this film deals with a lot of very complicated sexual politics and a, very, a lot of very complicated sexual situations, for sure. And some really obviously questionable and hard things. But oh my gosh, to reduce that movie oh, to that scene. Ugh. Um, absolutely awful. Uh, now, it's funny. I want to say this with you talking about this. Amy Heckerlin being a female director and kind of once they got into the editing process and things that were changed, this movie they were fighting not to get an X rating because the scene that's so changed is the pool house scene between Stacy and Damone. Amy Heckerlin wanted that to be full frontal nudity for Damone yeah. and not for Stacy. Yeah. And that was how it was shot. Um, but they would not. And they literally said something along the lines of the male genitalia is aggressive and the uh, female is passive. And that's why one will get an X rating as the other will get an R rating. And if you ever <laughs> wanted to know... What is wrong with the MPAA? Ryan just distilled it yeah. in a sentence. So it's just interesting because she was trying to so much show just a different type of film. Um, and, and even that, they had a fight just to, you know, and that was one of the things. So in the scene, it's basically the scene's blown up. So it ends up cutting out what would have been Damone's, you know. So I have a question and I'm very curious if there is like... You know, I wonder Heckerling's editing this now and distributing this now, how different this looks. And I would say we're still in Hollywood very, very regressive Absolutely. about how we represent female sexuality. But I'm curious if she gets a very different edit and cut on this. And I'm not necessarily saying it towards the nudity. I'm just saying in general how certain aspects are handled and certainly how it's marketed. Yes, I agree completely. Um, it's just some of the things that I just think do, though, make this, I mean, even with the stuff she had to fight for, but that's what I think I love about this movie is just, it's a complete film to me. Um, I, I think these characters are, are really thought out and, and fleshed out and really well done, and you feel every emotion with them as you go on this journey with this through this year with them, and that's what I love about it. And this is why I just, I love Dazed. I love Dazed so much. It's funny and it's great. But why this movie, again, I'm taking it on my island with me is because I literally feel like I care about all these characters. I, I just definitely care about them all. And the one thing I will also say is 2005, Fast Times at Ridgemont High yeah. did get put onto the National Film Registry in the Library of Congress. Another film did not as of yet. <laughs> Give it time. Yeah, it should be. It really should be. Um, you know, here's the thing. Uh, well said all around. Um, I also love Fast Times. I don't love it as much as I love Dazed and Confused, and I think that's very clear from this. But for every reason you said, I think Fast Times was ahead of its time, um, you know, to be punny here. I think it's something that I would love to see that character of Stacy explored now um, and see how we handle. Um, I, I think there'd be really something there. Uh, but I think Amber Heckerling was doing really brilliant things. And clearly she had a real knack for telling female-driven stories. I mean, look what happens with Clueless a few years yeah. later. Or, uh, you know, obviously a bunch of years later. My closing arguments for Dazed and Confused is it to me recaptures what a night feels like when you're with your friends in high school. Yeah. Directionless, aimless full of hope and full of expectations, but with the understanding that probably a lot of that's not going to be fulfilled. 
Um, I, I don't favor the violence in Days and Confused. Actually, the first time I watched Days and Confused, I hated it because of the O'Banion stuff. I didn't like the hazing. It felt very uncomfortable to me, and, and I couldn't really get around the film at that point. But then the more I watched it, I realized for me, who did not grow up in the 70s, who did not grow up in Texas, I felt like something was being represented to me that um, wasn't mine, but I felt like I experienced and owned. I love the way in which these characters weave in and out of each other's friends group. I feel like that feels genuine. We're not as discreet in high school as we like to think with friend groups. We kind of like drift between. I like the the ways in which these teenagers are trying to like buck authority but clearly are so stuck in the traditions that they're doing of these things that like they'll point out and say that's kind of wrong we're doing these air raids but at the same time it's tradition like you know I love kind of the exploration of what it feels like to be on the crest of summer for your shoulders to be rolling back because the school year's over and for what that next part of your identity is going to look like and just kind of the open road ahead um you know, I don't know that every high school film does that. I don't think every high school film approaches that expectations versus reality. I don't think every high school film approaches just the casual ease of what it is to be a teenager. I think once we stop being teenagers, we have so many thoughts of what that looks like, so many fears and anxieties of what teens are like. And or I hear this all the time. They just sit on their phones. No, they don't. They just do that when you're in the room, you know? <laughs> I, I feel like Dazed and Confused really captured something for me. Again, it wasn't my life in high school, like, but it felt like something like that. And I think that's what I really appreciate. I like the authenticity of it. Um, my fun fast fact, and I'll appreciate it. So the, the burger shop that they go to um, in this film is actually, it was, it was a real like burger shop. I think it's called, is it Top Hat or Top Something? I feel bad. I can't remember the name of it right now. But one of the things I really, oh, Top Notch, Top Notch Burger. It still exists in Austin, Texas. It was bought by, so it, it passed through generations when the son of the original owner passed away. Someone else bought it. It still exists in Austin, Texas. It was also a filming location. It is the burger spot in Varsity Blues. Nice. Um, it is much beloved in Austin, Texas. And this is a, a film that I feel like kind of really captures, I think captures like kind of small town experience, but then so much more universally just captures what it feels like to be young and just want to be in the car with your friends. I can't argue with that. Um, you know, you saying that, I'm like, yeah, I totally, uh, I'm going back to those moments of, you know, hanging out with my friends and, and driving. We had a Delaware Avenue and we'd cruise <laughs> yeah, up yeah. and down. Only right? so many times though, right? <laughs> Only now, so many right? times. <laughs> uh, or stand out in front of a building and, or, you know, somebody drives by and tells you where to go and yeah. you, know, you guys all meet up there. So you're, you're not wrong there. And, and I think that is a huge argument to be made on why Dazed is such a, a brilliant you know film you know i kind of think it says we're sitting here i'm like i think it goes back to as we kind of close it out like i'm looking at this list and we honestly if we probably in what we agree on, on <laughs> what was winning yeah, yeah um i i still arguing that director aspect but um you know dave seems to to get the edge here and and i don't think that that's I don't think I disagree with that. Um, because I think if you're sitting me down on a, you know, a Tuesday night or, uh. or any night and you go, hey, pick a movie, probably Days is the easier movie to watch. And that's not a cut. I mean that as a positive. No, no, no. I get um, what you're saying. It's, the, it's a more enjoyable, fun experience. Um, the grittiness of, of Fast Times can be a little bit. Uh, tougher and it look, feels a little more dated although days this time watching it is starting to age a little bit from a, a visual standpoint more than i was expecting but um but 
yeah, I, I, Days is just a fun sit down. You enjoy it, nostalgic type movie. Even if it isn't your, like you said, even yeah. if it isn't your exact, you know, experience, it still has that. So I, I can't argue with with that aspect. So probably in the end, I, me, I think I still make an argument that Fast Times is probably a better, more constru- well constructed film. But I think Days probably is the more enjoyable probably the go-to film that's fair i think we, we can have we can have a tossy agreement that there's a there are ways to appreciate i'm both probably wrong films. on that and days is probably just the clear winner here. it is it totally is but i'm gonna give you this because you said it's so nice at the end <laughs> i have to ask this though this is a yeah. big question i have to ask you though out of these movies what character are you i don't think i'm any of these characters i don't see myself really in any of them in either film in either. Interesting. Um, I'd say the closest is Cynthia. Um, okay. Marissa Ripsey's character. From... <laughs> yeah, um, I would say she's the character that is can... Is that because you have red hair now? <laughs> no, it's not. It's because I had friends like Mike and Tony. Yeah. I, uh, oh, yeah. You I know exactly what I'm talking about, too. Yeah. So it's like... Um, yeah, I see myself more as... A little wiser yes. than everybody, your peer group. Thank I, you, appreciate yeah, that. Kind of on, yeah, but, but she's still le- want to be a part of the group. Yeah, right? and, but she's less awkward than I am. <laughs> I was, I, 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 rem- I am as awkward as I was in high school. Um, I gotcha. Just with probably a little bit more self-assurance than yeah. I once had. So, I not really any of the characters, but at the same time, probably Cynthia. Nice. Do you have a character that you probably kind of point to? Yeah, you know, I... I I could probably see myself, a, you know, and obviously nothing to be exact. A couple of different characters with different ways. Like, um, I, I can understand the Mitch and having some older people take me under my wing. But in the end, to me, it, it's Mark. Um, yeah. That, um, yeah. That was that was probably me. Yeah, completely. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I, you know, certainly had a demone, but we won't talk more about that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just leave that right there. Oh, I, I'm going to say this. <laughs> You're much cooler than Mark. You yeah. do. You don't give yourself enough credit. <laughs> anyway, I, I I had a lot of fun with this with you. Um, both movies we both just absolutely love. Even when we got you know in a funny contentious way here. Yeah. At the end of the day, put on both movies. We're gonna enjoy them. They're both great. They're both classics for a reason. Would you say how could you not enjoy Dazed and Confused and Fast Times at Ridgemont exactly. High? Right on. You know, no. Actually, the better question: How could you choose? How could you choose? How could you choose? That's our actual how could you. <laughs> Don't make us do it DVD pack. I love that our how could you changed by the end of the episode. Yes. Uh, if you're not already, please follow us on social media on Instagram at how could you podcast. You can see our travel adventures from our summer vacation episode and also get all of the information about our upcoming episodes. You can also follow us on Twitter at how could you pod. You can send us email suggestions or thoughts about the episode to how could you podcast at gmail.com we've got a lot of fun and exciting things coming for season three so make sure you're following us on all of our social media channels to get those updates yeah you're right we have a big lineup uh ready for you guys we'll be back in a couple of weeks uh for episode two we can't wait to share it with you and until next time keep living and enjoy the odyssey